In the past year, hundreds of people throughout California have been infected as part of a hepatitis A outbreak that began in the homeless population in San Diego. Despite a campaign to reduce the risk of disease transmission in that community, homeless people in California and elsewhere continue to be at high risk for poor health outcomes. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Margot Cushell, a professor of medicine in the Division of General Internal Medicine at the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital and Trauma Center. Dr. Cushell has written a perspective article about the underlying causes of California's hepatitis A outbreak. Dr. Cushell, as you note in your article, Governor Jerry Brown declared a state of emergency in response to the outbreak on October 13th. So how has the outbreak progressed since then? The outbreak has slowed somewhat, but it still continues to this day, and it continues in part because of while there are enormous and important efforts to control the outbreak through vaccination campaigns, through setting up hygiene centers and the like, the underlying causes remain the same, which is massive numbers of people in California who are not only homeless but unsheltered. You write, in fact, that this is the largest outbreak of hepatitis A in the United States in the past 20 years. Have there been other hepatitis outbreaks that have disproportionately affected the homeless population or other vulnerable populations? Yes, we're starting to see other outbreaks, unfortunately, throughout the country, small pockets of hepatitis A outbreaks in populations affected by homelessness. In many ways, we think of hepatitis A as a problem of poor sanitation. At its heart, in homeless populations, people are really living in conditions that we don't think about people living in developed countries like the United States. And so I think it's caught us by surprise. There are usually sporadic outbreaks brought on by foodborne outbreaks, but this is different. There's many person-to-person outbreaks not spread through food, not spread through an infected restaurant handler, which is how we usually see it in the U.S., but rather spread through people who are sharing quarters and close quarters without hygiene facilities, without toileting facilities, hand-washing facilities, or others. So we are starting to see outbreaks throughout the U.S. that mirror that of California. So you've mentioned the provision of hygiene facilities to the homeless population and a campaign to vaccinate as part of addressing the current outbreak. Is there evidence that those efforts have been successful in reducing disease transmission? I think there has. I think the pace of the outbreak is beginning to slow, but it has certainly not stopped it. We are still seeing spread, and those of us in the further northern parts of the state had a head start with vaccination campaigns and the like but I think we're still concerned about the problem spreading throughout the state and elsewhere. Have those campaigns been accompanied by any attempt to address the underlying need for permanent housing in this population? Unfortunately, no. I think it has spurred interest in doing what we would call more immediate interim solutions, which is finding at least shelter, if not housing. So in San Diego, and this was afoot before the outbreak, but I think the outbreak spread it along, They have set up massive tent communities, and I think other areas of California are really trying to quickly act to get shelter, but shelter is not the same as housing. And in fact, we know that many of the health risks of homelessness are not, in fact, cured by shelter. What they're really treated by is housing and permanent housing. There are efforts in California through both local bond measures to build affordable housing And there will be a bond measure on the ballot next year for statewide affordable housing measure, and these should help. But I think we're concerned about continuing and, in fact, worsening federal cutbacks that may work against the effects of these housing bond measures. At this point, California and much of the country is so far behind in affordable housing 
that we can't afford any retrenchment and we need to be focusing all our efforts on creating as quickly as we can affordable housing that's deeply affordable. People who are homeless generally are people whose income is what we call in 0 to 30% of the AMI or area median income. And so really our affordable housing efforts, if they're going to reach this population, need to focus on efforts that are deeply affordable or affordable to people with very low incomes. You say in your article that the rate of homelessness in the country is actually increasing. Is that, do you think, mostly due to this lack of sufficient government attention to affordable housing, or are there other factors involved too? I think the lack of sufficient funding, particularly at the federal level, of affordable housing has been both devastating and really not talked about enough. I worry that people talk about the homelessness crisis as a separate crisis from the affordable housing crisis, when really they're one and the same. And we know that expensive areas, for instance, coastal areas, have been more deeply impacted. California, for one, California has lost an incredible amount, $1.7 billion in affordable housing funds since just 2008. At the same time, it gained nearly 900,000 renter households. And so we have an enormous increases in homelessness. Right now, California has only 21 units of affordable housing for every 100 extremely low-income households. So we're short about 1.1 million units of affordable housing. What we saw in the HUD report on their housing counts, which came out the same day as my article came out online, showed that despite incredible efforts at reducing chronic homelessness through targeted efforts focusing on veterans and other people with severe disabling conditions, homelessness across the country actually ticked up for the first time in years. And much of that growth was from growth in California and other Western states who've been affected by the shortage of affordable housing, inflows of population. And I think the other part of the equation is the income equation, that people become homeless when they lose the ability to pay for housing. And there are really two sides to that. Is there affordable housing available? And are there jobs that pay enough to afford that housing? And I think we're really losing out on both those. I think it's very hard to have this discussion, however, without discussing the massive and, I said, very quiet retrenchment or cutback on federal support for affordable housing. So finally, you mentioned some steps in your article that providers can take to help address the homelessness crisis. Following on what you just said, what are the chances that concrete progress can be made on a federal level given the current political climate? I think we're very concerned about the federal level, and I think what we're hoping for and we may be losing out on is at the very least to stay in our poor state and not get worse, although I think we're very concerned that things will get worse. I think where you're going to see a lot of action in the next few years is on local measures and local and statewide measures to raise taxes or come up with funds for affordable housing. I think even without that, though, there are still things that it will be important for healthcare providers to do in the interim. One, I think it's really important that we screen and assess people for their homelessness or their risk of homelessness. Without doing so, we really don't know who we're treating, and I think that we can't really bring any services to them. I think the next thing we should do is we as healthcare providers really need to make clear in every sphere, in the public sphere, in the political sphere, in every chance we have, to speak out about the terrible connection between homelessness and health, and that really homelessness costs a lot in financial resources. It also just costs a lot in public health outcomes. And I think we as healthcare providers are well able to speak to those costs, those terrible human and financial costs of homelessness. I think healthcare providers can also attest to the incredible success of permanent supportive housing. Permanent supportive housing is subsidized housing with on-site or closely linked services. 
And this intervention, which really came out of healthcare providers' cry for help about these problems, has really resulted in enormous success and decreases in homelessness amongst those who have the most disabling conditions. I think we can't step away from that. We need to realize that that has had bipartisan support since the beginning and that we need to really speak up for the need to continue that and not step back from that. But finally, and perhaps most importantly from my end, I think that healthcare providers need to make the connection between affordable housing crisis and homelessness because we are often confronted with members of the homeless population who suffer from severe behavioral conditions and we see them again and again. It would be easy to think of homelessness as a problem related to those conditions. And by all means, it is related to those conditions, but at its heart, it's a problem of affordable housing. And I worry that the healthcare community has been too silent on this. And we can go a long way, not only by making the connections between homelessness and health, but by making the connections between affordable housing and solutions to homelessness. For permanent supportive housing to be effective, we need to have a supply of affordable housing. But in order to stop many, many people entering homelessness who don't have the severe behavioral risk factors, but still face the deleterious effects of homelessness, we need to speak out for the need for affordable housing. Thank you, Dr. Krishel.